Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. I have a history with redemption. Jeff got me into church planting a number of years ago, and so my wife, and I blame him for a lot of things that have happened in the last few years of our life and how we've been on this whole journey. And so I get to pray for redemption on a regular and and just think of what God's doing and then walk into a place like this and and learn from what this church is doing. It's a beautiful thing, and, and I'm excited to be here this morning. This is a a weird season. I know we talk about it being a beautiful season, and it is, but it's also a very weird season. It's got a season of all the lights, all the different things. It, it, for many people, this is the only season of the year, maybe the only time of year where they sing. People just don't sing. Adults don't sing on their own normally, unless you go to church regularly. But a lot of people, this is the only time they sing. There are candles and gatherings and and all these things. This is probably the only time that you wear some really weird light-up sweater and think it's normal. The only time you bring a tree into your house and try to say, hey, this is what normal people do. This is the season where all of that happens. This is it. This is also a season, this Advent season, in which it's just like, man, I do not always get it. I, I struggle sometimes even just to get it. And I go to church all the time. We, I, I grew up not going to church. Right? I didn't grow up in the church at all. And yet I knew about Christmas, right? Everybody knows about Christmas. I know about Christmas because I'm an American, And and that's what you do. You know about Christmas. It's lists and all these types of things. And then there's this this Advent thing, which for growing up, I thought was just this season trying to tell me of like, oh, don't think about your list. Think about something else. It would be something on my refrigerator and that you put something on. And that was about it. And I thought that we were pretending that Jesus hadn't been born yet. And and it was just like this in-between waiting season. It had absolutely nothing to the larger picture of all of it. It was simply this like, don't get too excited about gifts. Think about something else. Oh, and here's some puppets to stick in a date on the calendar. I think it's safe to say that I missed the point of what all of it was about. I just absolutely missed the point. So this morning, we're trying to light some candles. We're, we're thinking about what's happening, but it's not just candles, right? The candles point us to something far more beautiful. It points us to something just beyond a day on the calendar. It points us to one who is coming. It surprised me to, to hear that Advent is, is more than a transition It's actually this beautiful rhythm that is tuning our hearts. And I love how Fleming Rutledge puts it. There's a famous quote that she says, and if you haven't read, she has a book on Advent, which is just a collection of essays. It was so good for my soul, and I couldn't recommend it enough just to pick it up and to think and to tune my own heart to thinking about it. But this is what she says. Of all the seasons of the church year, 
Advent most closely mirrors the daily lives of Christians and of the church. It asks the most important ethical questions, presents the most accurate picture of the human condition, and above all, orients us to the future of the God who will come again. It orients us to the future of the God who will come again. Not long ago, I found myself at the hospital visiting someone, and she had gone in for just a routine test. And you might be thinking, hey, we don't usually visit people who are just going in for routine tests. And she went in to have some tests. She was about to go on a long trip. She's Indian. She's around 75 years old. And she was about to go visit family, friends, and and celebrate Christmas in India with her family. She goes in, and a few hours later, she has three stents put in, and everything changed. Everything changed when they found out that there was 90% blockage in her heart. And and suddenly, she's not going on this trip. (laughs) She's not going to see family. And let's be honest, it, it means that she might not see that family again. That she had this idea of what was coming before her, what she thought was going to be this time, things that she was dreaming about and and things that she wanted to do. And she was sitting there in that bed, this little Indian woman who is beautiful and precious and funny and all these things. And yet she's grieving over the beefs and and the sounds and the nurses coming in and out and just busyness. And her daughters are there and other family members are there. And we're basically just sitting there saying, you know what? Sometimes life is a mess. And it it doesn't work how we think it's going to work out always. And we hope for something. She was hoping for this trip to see family and different things. And we hope for things. And and sometimes it doesn't go as we think it does. And, And this little like spitfire of a woman sitting there in bed just a few minutes after these stints, she says, Jesus is good and I will look to him. So let let those words kind of serve as a roadmap for us this morning. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Look to him. We're going to read in Isaiah 11, and if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to get there and that you could see that we're not just throwing things on a screen, I'm not just making stuff up, that we're actually walking out of this book, and if you get completely confused of like, how does this have to do with anything, just keep that as an anchor, as a roadmap, that Jesus is good and I will look to him. This passage tells us about a beautiful king about this king that is unlike any other in this peace that he brings, this peace that is coming. But it also talks about hard. And it is a passage of prophecy from Isaiah that points us forward to something. Like this, these Advent candles. It points us to something far more beautiful. So read it with me if you have your, your Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen. And we're going to read these first nine verses. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit. From his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his ears see or what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Will you pray for me as I pray for you guys? As we ask the Lord to meet us in this. Oh living God, we need you. Help us to not just go through the motions. Help us to not just be in in a religious setting and miss you. Spirit of God, move in our hearts. Do what only you can do. God, open our eyes to see the beauty of your word. Open our hearts to receive your grace, your love. And, And God, I pray that you would meet us this morning. I pray that you would meet us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's just unpack this passage a little bit because we're diving in in a section of Isaiah, which I'm just going to be real honest, can be confusing. It can be confusing. It can sound like a fairy tale. It can sound really strange. And it is. It's okay to acknowledge some of that. Israel is a full-blown kingdom at this point. They're not traveling through the desert. This is a full-blown kingdom. And with that comes some arrogance some overconfidence, and some beauty, but also a lot of sin. And Israel is here, and Isaiah the prophet is making a lot of claims from the God. Isaiah is a little tricky because it, it, it isn't always the same type of prophecy. Most of the prophets you have, you have prophets who are speaking judgment. So it's, uh, if you've been around at all, you've probably heard Jonah. And Jonah is speaking this prophetic judgment on a city. There are other prophets speaking to like messianic prophecy primarily, but Isaiah is doing both of these almost interchangeable. And so we go back and forth to what's happening. And then Isaiah isn't chronological either. So you'll have something, you'll have this prophecy in chapter nine, and then you'll have another one in chapter 10. And then you have this in 11 and you have all of these different things happening. It's not necessarily chronological. In the middle of Isaiah, you get to a section which is actually historical. 
And some things are described right in the middle of Isaiah, which are being prophesied right here, but find their fulfillment later on years ago, or years ago for us, but years in the future for them. And then the reality of everything that we're reading is that it isn't in its fullness yet. So most of Isaiah has a now and a not yet. A now and a not yet. These are real people who Isaiah is prophesying to. This is Israel divided. This is Israel as truly a stump. The picture here is the stump of Jesse, speaking not just to the glory of this king revered David, but no, to the father who is pretty shameful. Israel, you are a stump. Egypt has been brought low to some extent, but that doesn't spell peace for Israel. It actually has bigger problems because there's this other nation that's out there, Assyria. And at one point, Assyria gets within eight miles of Jerusalem and starts staring them down. And then we have this incredible and terrifying like Lord of the Rings moment where they come to the gates of Jerusalem and they tell them all the things that they're going to do to these people. So you get into Isaiah 36 and 37, and you have this historical account of the siege of Jerusalem. And yet here in chapter 10, we're told, hey, Israel, you're a stump now, but you won't always be. It's not chronological. There's a now and a not yet. There are these moments of promise that we get from the prophet, and then we see that it doesn't happen immediately. It might not even happen how they think it's going to happen, and yet God has a perfect and a beautiful plan. Isaiah 10, right before what we just read, ends telling us that the oppressors will be brought low. It it uses the language of chopping them down like a tree chopped down. Your oppressors, Israel, will be chopped, chopped down, and you will not have to worry about them anymore. And then we step directly into 11, and it says this. Verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, from a stump that is sitting there. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So our our antennas go up. We're talking about a person. We're not just talking about this king. We're talking about a person. And the spirit of God is going to rest on this person in unique ways. Most of you, you live in the Bible Belt. You are here in this place. Most of you have some uh, understanding or some experience having read through or heard Isaiah. And and you you come to this like wanting us to race to different sections, chapter 9 or chapter 53. And we we jump to these things and we're like, oh, I know who this is talking about. These people did not. The original hearers would not have known this, but they they start to clue in over these prophecies. Isaiah is talking uh, not about David, not about the next David, but about the ultimate David. The Messiah that is coming. The spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest upon this one. But catch this. This prophecy acknowledges pain. 
It acknowledges that things are hard and have been hard. It acknowledges that this is not how you thought it was going to work out. So the the prophecy puts them in the picture of a tree and then calls them a stump. No one dreams of being a tree and then says, great, I'll be a stump. No, it puts them in this picture and it is acknowledging in this picture that this is really difficult. These are, this is a really difficult season. But then it talks about this one. It goes on to talk about the character of this one. Look, in verse three, it says this. Look how the text describes it. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. If you've spent any time in church, that starts to sound familiar. But if you were these people, you're saying, this sounds like a king like no other. And what we want to be are people who hear this with fresh ears. There is a king like no other. This king is right here. These people are being told to hope, hope in the one that is to come, hope in this one who is unlike any other king you've ever had. And then Isaiah shifts the focus from this one who will come to the effects of what that will be like. And everything is upside down. Verses six through through nine talks about animals and people and babies and lions that are eating like cows. And you're saying, this is like mythological stuff. This This is really strange. It starts to give this list. It talks about a wolf and a lamb, a leopard and a kid a calf, a lion and a a young bull as a group with a young boy leading them. It starts to paint this picture that is truly, I believe that this is where the whole idea of a felt board came up of like, this is what it is for. Well, you've got animals and we can put them all up there and we can throw them out there. And it's how churches develop these things. And it keeps throwing these out there. It says a cow and a bear along with their offspring, a lion eating straw, verse seven, an infant playing by a nest of snakes. It's easy to stop and think that, well, he's just making stuff up at this point. No, this is Isaiah the prophet who has this picture of what the world is like when real peace comes. This this passage is calling people to hope. But there are bright lights here. But you can almost hear this internal groaning that's coming out. And you can, you can almost hear it. You can see it in your face. This like, hey, Chad, that's really nice. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, but that time uh, in crazy hands over an adder's nest is not today because this place is busted up and broken. 
You can almost feel it. It's like nice of you to do it, but this is not that. And and if all we have are the felt boards, if all we have is like the pretty Thomas Kincaid painting of this version, and all we think of it is in this perfect, idyllic field, and we don't recognize the, the now and the not yet of a passage like this, then I'm with you. It doesn't amount to much at all. But it's more than that. And praise God, we get the whole story. Praise God that we get the whole thing, the the now and the not yet, the broken and the beautiful. And, And then we walk in this place that feels anything but peaceful today. It feels anything but peaceful when you read the news or you, you hear what's going on in schools and different aspects of life all around us. And you say, man, that actually doesn't help me today. And what I want you to see is that it, it leads us right to where our hope is found. So let's take the next few minutes, the rest of our time, And and let's just walk through this passage and and say, where does this affect us in the right here and the right now? It had a, a, a point for these people that stands, that is true, but it also speaks to generations to come because the fullness of this passage, we have yet to taste. And there's a beauty in that that is for our good. So the first thing that we need to catch is that there is a king, a king like no other, a king that changes everything. Now, catch this. It's a king. It's not just somebody smart. It's not just someone elected. It is a king. And one of the things that we don't get as Americans or we struggle to get is that the king makes the rules. It's not uh, something that we come around and we decide, well, I like this rule and I like that, or, or we'll take it to some higher judge. No, this is a king like no other. We have a king and he makes the rules. This God is utterly unique. It's completely holy. And then as we read on through that, this one that is coming, this king like no other, this one who will come up from this stump is also, when we, you get to Isaiah 53, you see, oh yeah, this king is also the ultimate servant of all of us. It's not just that he brings peace. It's not just that he's filled with the spirit. It's not just that he's completely holy. It's also that he is the servant unlike any other. This king is completely unique. And as you read through the book of Isaiah, you start to see that this king starts to narrow. It starts to narrow in its focus. And it's not like just some abstract, broad thing. Isaiah keeps narrowing it until it is clear and it points to this one. We know the name, Jesus of Nazareth. They're told to look for it. We see through the whole of scripture who this one is. We see what comes from this. We see how Jesus lines up and matches every bit of it. We see what is happening here. But this coming one would be far more than just a good king. Isaiah 9, right before it, tells us this. It says, for to us a child is born. 
For to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Isaiah is giving us a picture, not just of some fairy tale field. Isaiah is giving us a picture, seen, given from God of this beautiful God who is reversing the curse. And what life looks like when God reverses the effects of the fall and brings ultimate peace to all of it. And why is this such a big deal? Why does this matter to you and I today? Because sin destroys and sin makes a mess of everything it touches. And we are far more sinful than we think. And we, li- we live in a world that is just soaked with sin everywhere. Sin being any thought or action that is different, that falls short of God's will, that God is perfect. And anything that we do that falls short of his perfection is sin. So it's easy for us to take the first step and say, well, here's a list of 10, and I'm not going to do those things. It's easy to say, here are things that I do. And what we often miss in our sin is that it's often just things that we think. I think I'm right. I think that my way is right and God's way is wrong. I think that I know what's best to the God who sees beginning from end. I stand and say, God, why would you do that? And I find myself sinning again and again and again. Even when we aren't aware of our sin, it is left and right around us. I find myself making much of my name. I try to to make myself look good or to to avoid certain things that would make me look bad. I try to to hide the weak areas and and shine light on the the areas that I think are okay. It's it's far more than did I murder someone today. Praise God I haven't. It's far more than that. It's, It's at our core and what's going on. And sin destroys Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is exactly, exactly why we need Jesus. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't make this right. So chasing our own way, walking in our own understanding, trying to trust in what makes sense to us, where it differs from what God has laid out, is sin. And what this passage is telling us, what this passage in Isaiah is telling us, is that this king is not like those other kings. This king Jesus is not looking to pounce when you mess up. He's holy and he's just and he's righteous, but he's not just looking to pounce and conquer more territory. This king is not like those other kings. This God is not like those other false gods. This God isn't promising you something only to leave you wanting. This God isn't like those idols that just take and take and take and never give back. 
this king is different and it changes everything. God, through Jesus, is perfectly right and perfectly loving all the time. In Isaiah, the beauty in a passage like this is that it lifts our eyes and says, life is hard, but this isn't the whole story. There is one who is unlike anything else. Again, there's the yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, but nothing seems to be changing in my life. Nothing seems to be right. And in fact, Chad, my struggle seems to be increasing and not decreasing. I come to church regularly. I try to pray. I try to avoid the 10 and I add more to that. I try to, to walk in a certain way and do right. And yet my struggles seem more. And it's right here in this moment, in that, in that honest statement where we see the real struggle, where, we, where we, we find ourselves really doing work with what it looks like to walk in faith. Yes, I see what the Bible says, and I know myself, and I'm still a hot mess. Yes, I see what God has told us, and I see what he's put out there, and I see what he's saying about what peace looks like, and I still am struggling all the time. And this is the struggle. This is what is so difficult. Yes, Lord, I trust you when everything is going my way. Yeah, Lord, I trust you when it is all going my way. But God, I grasp at everything else when I start to get those reports or those fears or I see my sin. This is the moment. Too often, if we were honest, too often, if we were honest, I I would have to say, Lord, do I trust you? No. I don't. And I'm guessing that you would as well. The battle in this is that we're not just people who show up in the right place at the right time and sing the right songs, that we're people that would be honest and say, yes, I do trust you, even when everything screams and and life is going crazy, and I feel like I don't know how we're going to work this out. I'm trusting you, God. I'm trusting you with the, what about this? What if this happens? What if that happens? God, I, I, I want to trust you. Or as Mark 9 says, we have this beautiful account in Mark 9. I do trust you. I do believe you. Lord, help my unbelief. See, it's right here in these what ifs. It's right here in these, these what if this happens? What if God the worst happens where we see if we're actually trusting in God. It's in these moments, in these honest cries, where we experience one of the most helpful gifts that the Bible has. We have these moments like Isaiah 11 in which it points out something that hasn't yet finished. And we we. We're met right here and we say, can I trust that? And we have the whole of scripture to say, yes, you can. Yes, you can. It reminds us of God's faithfulness. 
When we go to Abram and we see that Abram was not given all the answers. Abram could not have seen all that God was doing. Abram could not understand how his offspring would be that uh, more than the stars in the heavens. Abraham, if God had sat down with Abraham and said, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen here. Abram, would have, his head would have exploded on the spot. And he's like, I'm terrified. And you go through account after account in scripture and you see that it didn't work exactly how they thought. It was actually far more beautiful again and again. You see, change starts with a shoot. We're told right here that this stump will have a shoot come. It doesn't talk about surgery. It doesn't talk about some cosmetic surgery that comes to the tree and they bring in the crane and they put the trunk back on it and it's all there and this afternoon it will look perfect. No, it tells them, no, you're a stump today and there is a shoot that is coming forth from this. If I were to be real honest, I would tell you, I I often want the crane to come and put the tree back together. And God has something far beyond what I could dream, what I could think of. 18 times in these nine verses, 18 times Isaiah uses the language of assurity. 18 times in just these verses, Isaiah says, shall, this shall happen. This shall happen. We don't talk, we don't use a lot of shalls today, but this is like, this is going to happen. This is a certainty. I promise you, this is going to happen. And you see it throughout scripture, God's saying, this shall happen. I don't think it's an accident that this is going there, but here is something that I know if, if, the only thing, if, if the only thing on our list is, do you want peace like is described in Isaiah, every single person would sign up for it. Yeah, I want peace. I want there to be no hurt. I don't want to be scared of some snake. I, I want to be right there. I want to go pet a lion and be in a field like that. If all we're talking about is just peace, do you want peace? Let's see it. There are bumper stickers all around from people and you can find anybody. You, you would be hard pressed to find someone who would not sign up for that. Every single one of us wants peace. But where we get real honest, and when we get past that, do you want a peaceful life? There, there, there are people all around us, and there are people in here this morning who feel like that's not possible. If we were to cut through everything else, and it was just you and I sitting here, and we were talking, there are plenty of people in here that would say, I just don't think that's actually possible. And if, if, if it were just you and I sitting here, I would sit down and we would sit across from each other and I'd say, man, I'm really thankful that you said that. And I get that it's hard. I get it. I feel that myself a lot of times. And yet we sit back and we look at the scriptures and we see that God does the impossible. Maybe we'd be really honest and we'd say, life doesn't look like how I pictured it. I thought I was going to do this and it didn't work. I thought this was going to make me happy and I found that it actually hurt more than I thought. Maybe you got married thinking that that was going to fill the ache. 
Maybe you got married and you thought that that was going to help you not lust anymore. Maybe you pursued a marriage or you thought that marriage was going to to fill up all that was lacking in in your confidence in who you are. And what you found is that it didn't fix any of those things. Maybe you dreamed of having a baby and you thought this is going to show everyone I'm, I'm, I'm something. Maybe you dreamed of that or maybe you're dreaming of having a baby and you just can't. And life isn't working out exactly how you think it is. Maybe you thought, if I just had this, if I just had enough money, if I just got this job and this thing, and maybe you're coming in here, and if you were to be really honest, you'd say, I'm not sure that peace really exists. And you're here at church, and you're saying, I want to believe these things, but if if we were to be really honest in it, it it would be You see, those things were never intended to fill us up. They were never the answer. And this hope and this peace is not dependent. The one that Isaiah is describing is not dependent upon your circumstances. It's not dependent upon what you bring to the table. It's not dependent on what you have in your bank accounts or what you have relationally, what has happened to you or what you've done. It is not dependent on it. It wasn't for Israel and it isn't for you. Israel couldn't change the fact that they were a stump. It required God changing that. And life may have been hard for you. It may be hard right now for you. You may have dreams that have not been fulfilled or dreams that have been crushed. You may have things that you thought were right there, or you may be like Israel and overconfident in who you are overconfident in your account or your your status. You may be overconfident in what is happening here. And what I want you to hear is that there is a king like no other. There's a king like no other and he changes everything. He changes the brokenness that you may be experiencing. And he can bring beauty from that stump. There's one other thing I want to just highlight. It is, it might not be that this thing over here is hard and I'm having to trust that God can do something. There, there are people around us all the time, and maybe it's some of you, who feel like you are the stump. They feel like you have been cut off, that your life is at a dead end, or that you feel like you are the one that was growing, but something happened, and it is devastating. It's it's interesting because there are plenty of ways that a tree can get broken and, and become a stump. It's just simple. When I pictured in my head, I picture the smooth, just cut, a chainsaw does and something, and it just cuts it off, and there you go. That's what I've seen. But what, what happens oftentimes, and probably more often, is that something else happens. A storm comes through. Another tree dies and breaks and knocks it off, and then you have this jagged, broken thing. Sometimes it's just circumstances in life come and create a broken tree. There are other times in which it's people who come through 
and chop us down. You may not be in a desperate situation the way the Israelites are, the, the kingdom of Israel is right here with armies attacking and threatening to eat your young and, and just difficult times in which you are threatened to be cut off permanently in every single way. But you may be here this morning and, and you may be able to sing the songs and you may be able to tell us the right verses. You may have been in church a long time or maybe you just don't believe anything at all, but you are identifying with the idea of that, yeah, if I were to be real honest, I think I'm a stump. And I I want you to hear this. This passage tells us that there is hope for stumps. There is one who brings life where there is death. There is one who brings hope when there is hopelessness. There is one who redeems everything. Everything that brought wreckage in our hearts. You may not be on the run, but you may feel chopped down. And I want you to see that a passage like Isaiah actually brings so much beauty when we see it in the context of the whole. Maybe you're familiar with Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 tells us this, uh, this Hall of Fame chapter, right? It's all the names that we wish we were, that we, we, we think would be like, ah, oh, man, I, I could walk with God if I, was, if I had that going on. If, if there was an angel that would talk to me, if I walked in and there was a bush right there that was actually burning and talking to me, I would be full of faith in that moment. And the reality is that we would struggle off of this. But Hebrews 11 identifies it. It says this in verse one. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It goes on, and in verse 35, it it moves past some of the names that you've heard, and then it starts going into this other section. Look what it says in verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. That sounds like a stump. That sounds like they they thought it was going to work out one way, and it didn't refusing to accept early so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom, catch this, of whom the world was not worthy. Hear what this passage says. There are people who were literally cut down. And there was something even more at work. God had something even more beautiful for them even more beautiful than this moment. And then it goes on. That's not the end of the section. It even says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. You may be sitting here and thinking, man, God promised these things and it hasn't happened in my life yet. Listen. They did not receive what was promised. Verse 40 since God had provided something better for us. 
We come to a passage like Isaiah. We come to a season like Advent. We come to this area and we say, God, you're doing something and we we see a small bit of it, but we don't see the fullness. Fill us with faith to see that what you've given us is far more beautiful. That you've provided something better. And even our passage in Isaiah points to something bigger than just these people. It it points to something bigger than just a tree. And it tells us this in verse 9. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus brings beauty from brokenness and life from death. And Israel's hope, just like ours, is not in their own ability, but in that of this righteous one, this king who is to come. And so as we're in this season, as we wrap this up, I just remind you, I just want to point you back to just stop and just wait just for a second in this. And I just want to remind you of my friend, this little woman in her bed with stints in her heart who said, Jesus is good. I will look to him. And through the beeps and through the people coming in, and I'm sitting there with her and her daughters, her daughter shares this story of what, what a wedding in India actually looks like. And I'm thinking, a wedding in India? Like, where is this? She starts to talk about this, this God and what a wedding over there would look like. And so a, a bride and a groom get married. That sounds familiar. And they plan all this out. That too sounds familiar. And there are specific things that they would read and do for all of this. But then the wedding would almost certainly be in the bride's hometown. And here's where it differs from us. They would invite everyone to the reception. And so she's telling me like, a thousand people. It would not be uncommon for a thousand people to come to this reception in a sit-down dinner in this moment. I'm a, do- I'm a father of three daughters, and I'm starting to do the math on what all this looks like. A thousand people sit-down dinner off of all this, and, and she, she's like, you're missing the point off of this. There are crowds and crowds of people at this and they're, they're there and, and the, the only point of being there is that you would lay eyes on the bride and the groom. And so she, here's what she says. These three little ladies are sitting here and they're explaining to me after a stint in, in her heart and the disappointments in her life and they're talking about a wedding in India and we're all in this hospital room together and I'm thinking, what does this look like? And they said, no, Chad, you're missing it. That a wedding goes from, thanks for being here, it goes from good to great based on one thing. Did you see the bride and the groom? If you didn't see this couple, then you missed everything, even though you were there. As we step into this Christmas season, for real, try going to Target this afternoon. As we step into all the things that are happening, none of it matters if you miss the bride and the groom. None of the candles mean anything if you miss Jesus, the risen one. None of Isaiah, all the talk of lions and snakes and kids and people and and all of that stuff, none of that matters. 
if you miss the bride and the groom. And so, with that little lady, her name's Molly, you can pray for her, she's still got this, and she still has disappointment of not getting what she wanted, was to see her sisters and her brothers and her family, and then to celebrate with them and to hug their necks. If you sit with her and you say, Jesus is good, I will look to him. And so this morning, I ask you, will you look to the one that Isaiah promises? Will you look to the one that Isaiah speaks about? Will you look to the one who comes as a baby, who walked this life, who goes to the cross, and who takes our sin and literally nails it to the cross? Will you look to the one who rose again? This Jesus, this King promised. Pray with me. Lord, you are good. And for those in here who feel like their, their dreams, their hopes have been chopped down, I pray that you would meet them. For those of us that have been trusting in other things, lesser things, our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own ability, God, would you meet us? For those who are here and they wouldn't even they say, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I want that. Spirit work in their life. We pray for new growth. We pray for growth for Redemption Church. We pray for growth in each one of us, but we pray for your spirit to work in those around us who feel far from God. And I pray, Lord, that not a single one of us would leave this morning, but would walk through this season of Christmas and miss the groom, the baby born, the risen one from the grave, the one of which Isaiah speaks, and the one in which the whole of Scripture speaks, Jesus Christ, our King. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.